this will this will be my last mention of religion for a month. The reason why I talked about it so much is because deconversion is a lot of work. And it's ebbs and flows, even though I deconverted for months, I was still trying to immerse myself in that world, you know, by just hoping that I could feel like I was wrong. But I no longer try to immerse myself in that world, meaning the Christian world anymore. Um, Carlton Pearson said something that I don't want overlooked. He said, the guilt of not witnessing to every single person you meet. I'd get on an airplane, having preached my brains out, stayed up all night, worked the altar, then ate with the preachers and got up early in the morning to get a flight. I get on the plane, I need to go to sleep. But I should witness to the person next to me. Somehow I have to figure out a way to open up a conversation. So I need to put my Bible on my lap so they can ask me about the Lord or where my cross, something to open up the door. Either or either I have to basically confront them and say, Well, how are you doing? Do you know where you're gonna spend eternity? You're probably going to hell, but I can help you. And I have to talk for two hours on the plane, either either piss the person off or be insulted by the person or insult the person. It's horrible. Um, that statement really mean a lot to me because I struggled with evangelism um, in my life too. And I must admit that because um, it's tough being with people that only want to be amongst themselves. Like what Carlton Pearson said, that church people are spiritually incestuous. They only see it amongst themselves. And they talk about how uh, churches, a lot of people go to them because of the brand name, because of it's an accessory, because it's a fashion statement to go to these mega churches. And I like how Even many non-believers are saying that a lot of Christians are unable to convert people to Christianity on their jobs, at their schools, and in their neighborhoods. And a lot of non-believers are saying, Jesus told you that saved people don't need him, but the sinners do. And that they don't, go, and Christian, a lot of Christians don't go out um, to consort with sinners every day. They don't live by the Jesus formula. And that really spoke to me because a lot of Christians are taught to battle worldliness, but they do not. Because if they really battled worldliness, don't you think the quality of black life would stay intact? Don't you think the quality of disability life would stay intact? Don't you think that abuse and violence and trauma survivors is quali the quality of life would stay intact? No. It none of those human groups 
lives stay intact. In fact, it worsens over time. So they don't battle worldliness. They succumb to worldliness and then they want to come to worldliness. They choose to be citizens of the culture than to be citizens of heaven. Um, I noticed that they're the main ones kowtowing to the one they call Satan. I also noticed that being Christian is not crystal clear in that world. Because a lot of Christians are, um, they're conditional in their niceness. They'll only be nice to you if you meet their criteria for who and what a Christian is. But once you put that same Christian, self-professed Christian, in the presence of a person with Down syndrome, a person with Asperger's syndrome, a person with autism, a person who's labeled blind, labeled deaf, labeled mute. You'll be amazed at how mean that same Christian could be. That's not talked about in the body of Christ, in quotations, the body of Christ. I put them in quotations because they're the body of Satan because they make themselves that way. I was, I was watching earlier a conversation I don't want to say the people's names because I don't want to go down that road but I was watching a video of a person talking about their religious doubts and what I saw in the video was the person talked about how they felt attacked by many people commenting who had said to be Christian and he was talking about um, the wrestling with the evil and suffering questions and how can God be good and at first the believer was doing pretty well and then when it got to him talking about like you know all these good people are dying but these scumbags still here I saw I heard a lot of theological platitudes a lot of biblical quotations and that's not what you do when people are struggling with Jehovah you, it's okay to be human with people acknowledge doubts and skepticism a lot of believers have been taught if I, if I acknowledge these things then somehow I don't believe that's not true you can acknowledge the mysteries of life and still keep your values. Atheists do it. Muslims do it. Agnostics do it. Practitioners of Judaism, the religion, they do it. Just because I am humanizing doubt, humanizing skepticism, humanizing fear, humanizing nervousness, humanizing all human emotions, all human thoughts, all human experiences, that doesn't mean 
you have to compromise your true values because if you're fearful of acknowledging that there may be times where you're angry at God, there may be times where you're angry at your elders, there are times where you are angry at people you've been taught to highly revere or a system that you've been taught to highly revere, sometimes even believers get angry at the church. So if we don't acknowledge these things, then that means that we don't set, that we're truly not what we say. For example, if I say, that I'm a Christian, but I get attacky, which you don't know, which you don't understand, which you fail to recognize. That dumbing down of people who wouldn't call themselves Christians, that's what I saw in that interview. And I'm just like, that person just told you, I don't like to be attacked. I'm really trying to understand. And the person kept saying, make that make sense to me. Like, come on, I really need you to walk with me through this. And that person basically making it be known, don't give me religion, just be a person with me. I'm not asking you not to have your faith. I just want you to be fully human with me. And the same thing goes for atheists. I'm not asking you to be a faith-based person. I just want you to be fully human with me. I'm going through it. I'm enduring some scary shit, to quite be frank. I'm going through some scary shit. But we 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 either go, we either do all religion or all philosophy. People are like, I don't want all that. Just just suffer with me, please. Endure with me. If you suffer and endure with me. It, it'll be much easier for me to make peace with these crises and at the same time I can put more energy into what's positive that's what people really really need and um, what I saw um, in that world was quite uh, frightening um, the fact that they don't do a good job of grieving with people, too, that's another concerning thing. It's like, all you have to do is really go through things with people. You know, people are not asking to lie to yourself or anybody else. People are saying, can you just share the mystery with me? Can you just say you don't know? Can you just be humble enough to say, hey, I have the same questions and concerns that you have. That's all the person needs, that affirmation. You just want to be understood. And a lot of times,
a lot of Christians, I say Christians, this world is claiming to be mostly Christian. This is what I want to read to you, then I'll get to the sex everything, okay? It says MountSinaiSparks.com.org. This is what I want. I wish religious people do this because I noticed that non-believers, unbelievers are better at comforting mourners than believers. So what to say to a mourner? What to say to a mourner? Knowing what to say to a mourner is never easy. What are the words of comfort? Can I help to ease the pain? I want to express my condolences. I want to express my condolences sincerely, but the words seem so inadequate. I'm scared that I will say the wrong thing. Something tends to be well meaning, but it's deceived, it's hurtful. It says, and I'm not being religious when I say these things, but here we go. What can I say? In the Bible, we learn from the example of three friends who come to comfort Job as he grieves for his ten children. And they sat down with him upon the ground seven days and seven nights, and none spoke a word to him. But they saw that his grief was very great. After this, Job began to speak. Job chapter 2, verse 12 through 13. Jewish tradition derives three principles of comforting the mourner from this text. Be there, speak in silence, and hear with the heart. Be there. If there is one fundamental message of Judaism about death and bereavement, it is this. We are not alone. When a loved one dies, the feeling of being alone is overwhelming. That is why the goal of Jewish comforting is to surround the mourner with a supportive community. Be there. Be there at the funeral. Be there at the Shabbat home. Be there during the difficult days, weeks, and months ahead. Without a word, your presence says, I am here for you. You're not alone. Speak in silence. Ironically, silence is often the most powerful language of all. It is perhaps the best way to begin a conversation with a mourner. A warm embrace, an arm around a shoulder, a sincere look, and sharing with tears together. These are the nonverbal messages to the breed that say more than a thousand words. Jewish tradition suggests that comforters say nothing until the mourner begins to speak. Let the mourner take the lead. Some will want to talk to tell the story to share their feelings. Some will not. Do not fear silence. Offer a hug, a hand, a touch that says, I understand. I accept your feelings another way you are expressing them. Go ahead. I'll be here for you. Here with a heart. There is great power presenting yourself. To the mourner as an empathetic listener. His real hearing is silent. No interruptions, no judgments, no denials, no problem solving, just hearing with the heart. This is not easy to do. We all want to fix things. We all want to make things better. We all want to take the grief away, but we cannot, nor should we try. For when we do, we often say the wrong things, such as time will heal, calm down, I know exactly how you feel. It's probably for the best. Be strong. What my mother went through when she died, you're young, you'll have another child, it'll be all right. For, the, for most brief, it's definitely not quote-unquote all right. A loved one has died in the Greek work must proceed for the person to be psychologically healed. One of the most important gifts you can give to a mourner is the full, complete, and non-judgmental acceptance of the person's feelings, thoughts, and behavior. No matter how explosive, no matter how quote-unquote embarrassing, no matter how much you wane desperately to reassure the mourner that things will be better, it is the mourner who must do the grief. It is the mourner who must do the grief work, not you. It is the mourner who must come up with answers, not you. It is the mourner who must speak, not you. What to say to a mourner? You have come to the Shabbat home. You have offered your nonverbal greeting. Now comes the awkward moment we have to say something. What can I say? Here are a few suggestions for opening the conversation with the mourner. I'm sorry to hear about your loss. I'm so sorry about your mother, brother, etc. and the deceased. I don't know what to say. This must be really tough for you. I hurt for you. 
Thank you, deceased. Loved you so much. I hope you can hold on to the good memories. We feel like talking. If the answer to the last question is no, suggest another time. Often mourners are too exhausted to talk, or they may be tired of telling the same story over and over again. On the other hand, if they indicate a willingness to talk, you may want to ask a simple quote unquote what happened. As the mourner talks, keep in mind these suggestions for helpful conversations. One, listen non judgmentally. Mourners don't want to be told their feelings are wrong. Two, pay attention, give your undivided attention. Try to get on eye level with the mourner. Establish eye contact. Lean forward, hold hands, nod your head. Use nonverbal expressions to encourage the mourner to continue the conversation. Three, don't interrupt. Give the brief all the time they need to speak without jumping in to finish a thought or to hurry the person along. Don't give rational answers. The death of a loved one cannot be explained away with logic. Five, don't compare experiences. Grief is not a it, grief is not a competition. Last thing a mourner wants to hear about is your loss. Some mourners do feel a connection with someone whose loved one went through a similar illness and death. But if you must speak of your loss, it's important to qualify your comments with a statement. I can't know how you feel, but with my, you may also want to offer your help. But make a specific suggestion. Can I bring dinner tomorrow? Is a much better approach than the vague. Is there anything I can do? Share memories. Many of us have been in Shava homes where there was more talk about the news, sports, and weather, more sharing of gossip and jokes from members of the deceased. We do this in part because we are uncomfortable with death and grief. But we also do this because we aren't sure what is appropriate conversation to home of a mourner. The rabbis encourage the Jewish approach to bereavement no knew that there would be talk of death, but they also weren't talk of life. Specifically, talk of the life of the deceased. The eulogy at the funeral is designed precisely for this purpose to, st to simulate a life review and to conjure up memories of the loved one. Those who seek to comfort can continue this process by sharing personal memories of special times of the morning of the deceased. I remember when you and your mother went with us to the theater. I recall a favorite characteristic of the deceased. I'll never forget what a generous man your father was. When Thomas Wright might have shared a humorous incident. The laughter, though bittersweet, could be very therapeutic for the mourner. If you did not know the deceased, ask some more about photos or other mementos that may be displayed in the home. Enabling the mourner to share these stories helps to crystallize and record fond memories of the deceased in the heart and mind. This is one of the major goals of the bereavement period. It is also one of the most comforting things we can do. What can I bring? When making a condolence call, it is appropriate to bring a token of your support. During the Shava bereavement period, it is customary for the community to enable the mourners to concentrate on their grief by providing for their sustenance. This explains why gifts of food are often brought to the home where the Shava is being held. Cakes and cookies are popular choices, although one should acquire about the level of kashra observed in the home. A safe choice for any home is a fruit basket. Flowers, liquor, candy are usually considered too festive for a house of mourning. A meaningful and much appreciated alternative to food is to make a donation to members of the deceased to a charity that is designated by the mourners. What can I write? Con condolence letters are another source of comfort to mourners. The words of sympathy and memory are welcome reminders to believe that you are thinking about them. A good condolence letter acknowledges the loss and names of the deceased. Use words of sympathy that share your sorrow. Note special causes of the deceased recalls a memory about the deceased reminds the brief their personal strengths and offers specific help. What can I say? Words of comfort. What to say to one was written by Dr. Ron Wolfson. Hello, everyone.
So, here's another thing that people should do when people are suffering. I'm going to research things from NIV, but I don't want to use religious language because I want everyone to really understand what's being said. Because um, everyone can apply whether you're or Christian or not. Uh, the important lessons that come from grieving well with people. And I know there's a little bit of religious language used in the um, article, but don't focus on that. Just secularize it. Or if you're not a Christian, but you practice religion, you can Muslimize it or Buddhize it or um, Judaize it, you know, meaning you could put it in the Judaism context. So lessons that we can all learn from, you know, properly mourning with people. Those who wish to comfort people in sorrow should consider silence before speech, empathy before explanations, and patience with their pain. Even the hardest questions that come out of grief do not require instant answers. Genuine friendship includes attentive, compassionate, present times of sorrow and loss. There are other lessons that people need to learn. You must understand the importance of personal contact and sharing grief. You have to approach your loved ones with silence rather than immediate conversation. Um, sit quietly and be the best friend you could be during difficult times when in doubt about a question, wait. Make it a point to be with those in pain, but let your physical presence be a strongest statement of support. Some questions are so deep that the best, their best response is silence. Friendship and grief requires patience. Friends in need don't have to have all their questions answered. As much as they need to have someone listen. And work on your patience because you're really going to have to do that. Don't try to explain people's suffering because that doesn't help. Don't let consolation turn to condemnation. Don't hear your loved one's questions or challenges as rather than expressions of grief. Don't take offense to become abusive when your loved one does not agree with your assessments or answers. Don't assume that tragedy and suffering inevitably represents some kind of punishment for wrongs. Um, don't have gross ignorance about grace, even though it's okay to have a fine understanding of justice. Um, have patience with impatience. During those times, people need someone to listen to them to help them work through their feelings and frustrations. Why, you know, when your loved ones remain silent for so long during grief, one ancient Jewish tradition teaches that people come to comfort someone in mourning should not speak until the mourner speaks. 
That is a wise tradition for often the best response to the other person's suffering is to say nothing. There's a difference between that and being in a pulpit and not ever saying anything. about sexual abuse because all these grieving things these grieving techniques I said also applies to abuse survivors sex crime survivors violent crime survivors too and if you're always quiet about violent crimes and sex crimes and abuse and trauma victimization then that's still not suffering while we're speaking. I'll read these last bit of things and I'll get to the sex, okay? Children never tire of asking why, yet the question produces a bitter taste the older we get. Children wonder about everything, adults wonder about suffering. We notice that the world seems to run by a system of cause and effect, yet there are some effects which you can't find a clear cause, and some causes that don't lead to the expected effects. Um, our age of instant everything has caused us to lose the ability to wait. We expect to learn patience instantly and in our hurry. We miss the contradiction of all that we want now, relief from pain is at the top of our list. We want an instant cure for everything from toothaches to heartbreaks. Although some pains have been cured, we still live in a world where many people suffer. Um, often we suffer consequences for bad decisions and actions. Um, and sometimes we don't know why we suffer. Suffering for some people, they're able to... To channel it in ways that would make a therapist proud and other people don't do that some people use some of their suffering that would make a therapist proud alongside not every way they handle suffering would make a therapist proud some therapists are actually disappointed so there's a yin and yang mixture gray area on that and um, it's understandable good things happen to good people bad things happen to bad people in the world though this world usually that's true but not always in some instances Bad things happen to good people, and good things happen to bad people. I I don't know why. I just know it happens. And um, when we feel like we've done nothing to deserve such pain, we just can't stand the suffering. Suffering can be attacked by hard-hearted folks. That is the truth. The willingness to turn from our toxic ways and confess no wrongs is a good guideline for us. 
what also is a good guideline for us is to not wrong people and not to wrong ourselves in the first place. To those so quick to ask why the smallest misfortune, people, some people, being able to learn and grow in the midst of their suffering seems incredible. We have some things to learn with Colossus now. It's hard to, it was hard for me to learn and grow as I was in therapy when it came to the abuse, knowing it was never my fault, knowing that the pain that I went through was not always punishment. In fact, the pain, it was never punishment when it came to the abuse. So what I learned and grew from was understanding healthy boundaries versus the original collapse boundaries that I was raised in. So I say all these things um, because I noticed that in church, Grieving with people like me is one of the top five reasons why I left the church and religion. Um, Thank you for understanding. Why? So that concludes all my comments about religion. I'm done talking about it for a month. Start my one month break religion starting right now. Now let's get to the sex, okay? So, trying to figure out what's the best way for me to do this. Okay. LG, this is June 21st, 2013, AmericanProgress.org. LGBTQ plus inclusive sex education is healthier youth and safer schools. Comprehensive sex education is critical to young people's sexual health and benefits all students, including LGBTQ plus youth. Earlier this year, the late Senator um, Fran Lattenberg, Democrat from New Jersey, Representative Barbara Lee, Democrat from California, introduced the Real Education for Healthy Youth Act in both the Senate and the House of Representatives. This legislation will authorize grants for comprehensive sex education programs that are inclusive of lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, LGBT youth. Specifically, it will require comprehensive sex education to cover sensitive and respectful discussions of gender, gender identity, and sexual orientation, among other topics. Currently, sex education centers vary widely across the country, leaving many American youth uninformed about basic anatomy, healthy relationship skills, and safer sex practices. On top of this, LGBT youth face particular challenges. Sex education materials often assume students are heterosexual, non-transgender. Many sex education curricula do not mention sexual orientation or gender identity at all, and some that do discuss it only in a negative light. This not only prevents LGBT students from learning the information in schools they need to stay healthy, but it also contributes to a climate of exclusion in schools where LGBT students are already frequent targets of bullying and discrimination. 
All youth deserve education and empower them to make healthy and informed decisions about their relationships and their bodies. The real education and healthy youth act will help make this possible. When considering this bill, Congress should keep in mind the ways in which legislation will positively impact LGBT youth. Comprehensive sex education benefits all students, including LGBT youth. There's abundant evidence that comprehensive sex education is effective at reducing high-risk sexual behaviors, promoting safer sex practices, and preventing pregnancy, sexually transmitted infections. Meanwhile, no abstinence-only programs have been proven effective at achieving those results or at significantly delaying sexual activity their intended purpose. Sex education is only legally mandated in 20 states plus the District of Columbia. Of these, only 12 mandate teaching about contraception, only seven require that the information be medically accurate. When such body coverage and irregular standards, comprehensive sex education does not reach nearly enough youth, resulting in dangerous ignorance. Among those ages 18 to 49%, 41% say they know little to, know, to nothing about condoms. 75% say they know little to nothing about the contraceptive pill. Comprehensive sex education is <laughs> sexual health and passing real education for healthy youth act can improve the knowledge and well-being of students across the country from LGBT youth. LGBT youth are disproportionately affected by negative sexual health outcomes. Young men who have sex with men who may identify as gay or pansexual account for more than two-thirds of the HIV infection among people ages 13 to 29. Within this group, men of color are particularly affected. Additionally, men who have sex with men account for about two-thirds of the syphilis cases in the Centers for Disease Control provincial reports that incidents in this community may be rising. Young women in high school who identify as lesbian, gay, or bisexual are more likely to contract an STI, more likely to become pregnant than those who identify as heterosexual question. They're also more likely to have experienced color sexual contact. Young women who have had both male and female partners are the highest risk of coercion and dating violence. Among transgender people, HIV prevalence rates are more than four times the national average of transgender women of color particularly affected. Transgender and gender nonconforming youth also experience high rates of sexual violence, particularly transgender gender nonconforming youth of color. Um, because LGBT youth experience more negative sexual health outcomes than their heterosexual peers, they would especially benefit from effective and inclusive sex education. Sex education often excludes the need to promote prejudice against LGBT youth. Currently, sex education programs do not reliably talk about se sexual orientation, gender identity when they do. The information can be inaccurate or deeply negative. Only 12 states require discussion of sexual orientation and sex education, and of those three require the teaching of inaccurate negative information. Alabama, for example, sex educators must teach that homosexuality is not a lifestyle acceptable to the general public, and that homosexual conduct is a criminal offense under the laws of the state. The Supreme Court invalidated that law 10 years ago. There are also seven states where positive discussion of being gay is prohibited in schools. No states currently mandate discussion of gender identity and sex education. The National Survey found that only 4% of LGBT youth in middle school and high school report having any positive discussion of LGBT, LGBT people or issues in their health classes. A, a female senior in high school wrote, because my school's health program ignores the gay students, I've been pretty clueless about safe sex. I had to find information on my own on the internet because non-straight students are ignored. Too many schools fail to provide LGBT students with inclusive information, leaving them dangerously underinformed about safer sex and healthy relationships. Leaving out LGBT youth in sex education also implies that they are abnormal or not worthy of inclusion. Many sex education curricula assert heterosexuality as the norm and leave no room for deviation with materials containing statements such as 
what do guys talk about in the locker room? Girls, what do girls talk about at sleepover parties? Guys, the type of exclusion contributes to the feelings of isolation and reject the LGBT youth experience all too frequently. Some curricula go even further and make explicitly negative statements about LGBT people in relationships. One teacher's manual states any same-sex sexual experimentation can be confusing to young persons and should be strongly discouraged. In other programs, educators are instructed to call being gay unnatural, quote-unquote, and to tell students that people with HIV or AIDS are, quote-unquote, suffering for the, quote-unquote, choice they made to be gay. These types of discouraging comments perpetuate misconceptions and carry and carry moral judgment contributing LGBT students' alienation. Absence only until marriage curricula are particularly exclusionary to LGBT students as they teach that sex is only permissible within a heterosexual marriage. For example, one curriculum states the only safe sex is in a marriage relationship where a man and woman are faithful to each other for life. Many programs teach that non-traditional families are inferior and in that children of divorce are same-sex parents are worse off than children of married heterosexual parents encouraging prejudice against LGBT students and the children of LGBT parents. Exclusion and condemnation of LGBT people is shamefully common in sex education, leading to dangerous ignorance and contributing to, host- to hostile school environments. The Real Education for Healthy Youth Act will combat this by funding sex education that includes LGBT youth and discusses issues of sexual orientation, gender identity in an accurate and sensitive way. Hostile school environments hurt LGBT youth. Sex education programs encourage pressure against LGBT students and schools contribute to a wide range of negative outcomes for these young people. Unsafe school environments prevent LGBT students from reaching their full academic potential. LGBT students who experience frequent harassment at school report lower grade point averages than those who are not harassed. Nearly one of the LGBT students have skipped class because they feel unsafe. Stigma and discrimination in school also lead to disproportionately high rates of mental health issues and substance abuse among LGBT youth. Students who experience higher rates of victimization in school based on their sexual orientation or gender expression have lower self-esteem and higher rates of depression. Lesbian and gay bisexual youth are four times more likely to attempt suicide than their straight peers among the half of transgender and gender non-conforming youth who experience harassment, assault, and discrimination in school attempt suicide. In what is called the minority stress effect, LGBT youth may use tobacco, drugs, alcohol to cope with the stress of stigma and discrimination resulting in disproportionately high rates of substance abuse. There's increasing evidence that positive discussion of LGBT people issues helps build safer school environments, decreasing educational, mental, physical harms that LGBT students experience. LGBT students whose curricula include, for example, positive discussion of LGBT people, history and events here, fear homophobic remarks and feel safer in school than students without inclusive curriculum. Implementing LGBT inclusive sex education under the Real Education for Healthy Youth Act would improve school environments for LGBT youth, helping them feel safe, reducing the harmful effects of stigma and discrimination. There is broad support for LGBT inclusive comprehensive sex education. Most parents, medical organizations, and educational organizations support the teaching of LGBT inclusive comprehensive sex education in schools. National surveys were that 93% of parents of junior high school students and 91% of parents of high school students believe it is important to teach sex, believe it is important to teach sex education in schools, and 80% of parents of junior high school students and 70% of parents of high school students believe sexual orientation is an appropriate topic for inclusion. Parental support for comprehensive sex education cuts across political and religious lines. Additionally, many organizations, including the American 
My association, the National Education Association, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, all support LGBT inclusive comprehensive sex education. Policy supporting comprehensive sex education, such as the Real Education for Healthy Youth Act, aligned with both parents' preferences, preferences and expert recommendations, concerning the health and well-being of students. Inclusion: All American youth, including those who are LGBT, LGBT are in dire need of inclusive sex education to improve their health outcomes, help build safe school environments where they can thrive. While further action will be necessary to end the teaching of inaccurate, exclusionary, and effective absence-only programs, Congress can make comprehensive, inclusive sex education a reality for more LGBT youth across the country by passing the Real Education for Healthy Youth Act. Hannah Slater is an intern with LGBT Progress at the Center for American Progress. I love this article. Um, I think that... Um, I think in my heart that I could have really used more of that in school. Um, they were not mean-spirited to LGBTQ plus people. I wish I got this education in, in school. I would have had it much easier as a member of the LGBTQ plus community. Um, This is what I want to say. I wanted to include that because that's something that really needs to be said. Um, the human rights of children is sexual reproductive health. Um, I'll just read that. International law states that children include adolescents enjoy the same human rights as adults. Thus, international human rights documents and treaties such as 1948. Universal Declaration of Human Rights in 1966, International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights and All Economic and Social Culture Rights benefit all persons. The 1989 Convention on the Rights of the Child, CRC, makes that clear by enumerating the political, civil, economic, social, cultural rights of children defined to be under 18 years of age. All but two of the world's governments have ratified the CRC. CRC sets out guiding principles with respect to human rights of children. Non-discrimination governments have to respect and share the rights of children without discrimination of any kind. CRC Article 2. Best interests in all actions concerning children, the best interest of the child is primary consideration. CRC Article 3. Will be the basic concern of parents. CRC Article 18. This best interest can, for example, justify intervention by the state to order the medical treatment of the child when a parent has refused consent. Similarly, the child's rights to receive health counseling. Without parental consent is vital in cases where the child's views slash interests are distinct from those of parents. Examples could be cases of violence and abuse by parents or the family members or cases involving child slash parent. 
disagreement over the adolescent child's access to sexual health education services. Evolving capacity, CRC articles 5 and 14. As a child becomes able to form their own views and make decisions, parents and other caretakers must exercise their responsibilities and rights towards the child in a manner that takes into account this growing autonomy. The responsibilities, rights, and duties of parents are to provide direction and guidance and exercise by the child of their human rights, CRC Article 5. The CRC makes clear that the nature of parental direction and guidance is not unlimited. It must be appropriate and consistent with the evolving capacity of the child and the CRC itself. The CRC expressly foresees that the rights of parents shall be curtailed in cases of maltreatment or abuse, CRC Article 19. Violations of children's rights have disastrous consequences for their sexual reproductive health. Right to be protected from all forms of physical and mental abuse, CRC Article 19, and from all forms of sexual exploitation, CRC Article 34. Each year, estimated 2 million adolescents and girls between the ages of 5 and 15 enter our fourth and commercial sex. National Service of Canada, Netherlands, New Zealand, Norway, and the United States indicate that roughly 30% of women were abused as children. Every year, 2 million girls undergo female genital mutilation. In several sub-Saharan African countries, over 40% of young women have entered marriage or a quasi-married union by the time they reach 18. Right to seek, receive, and impart information, CRC Article 13, the name of tradition, culture, religion. Adults routinely deny children, including adolescents, vital information and education on their sexual reproductive health and on the means of protecting themselves against unwanted pregnancy and sexually transmitted diseases, including HIV slash AIDS. Right to health facility, CRC Article 24. Children and young people seeking sexual reproductive health services are often turned away from health facilities because they're not married or because of their age. Legal provisions or health providers often require the consent of parents or, in the case of married girls or the husband for care is provided. Right to the highest attainable standard of health, CRC Article 24. Lack of health care, education, information, research, and estimated 330 million new sexual transmitted infections annually, at least half of these among young people age 15 to 24. HIV slash AIDS alone accounts for 6 million new infections each year, including about 2.6 million infections in the 10 to 24 age group. Adolescent girls are twice as likely to die from pregnancy and childbirth than women in their 20s and their children face a higher risk of infant and child death. So you have international commitments. Beijing plus 5, 2000, page 79, F, actions to be taken by governments, the private sector, non-governmental organizations, and other actors of civil society. Um, design and implement programs with the full involvement of adolescents is appropriate to provide them with education, information, and appropriate specific user-friendly accessible services without discrimination to address effectively their reproductive and sexual health needs, take into account the right to privacy, confidentiality, respect, and informed consent and responsibilities, rights and duties of parents, legal guardians, and provided in a manner consistent with the evolving capacity of the child-appropriate direction and guidance and exercise by the child of the rights recognized in the Convention on the Rights of the Child in conformity with the Convention on the Elimination of Discrimination Against Women, ensuring that in all actions concerning children, the best interests of the child are a primary consideration. ICPD Plus 5, 1999, Paragraph 73. Governments with the full involvement of young people with the support of the international community should want A, order to protect and promote the right of adolescents to the enjoyment of the highest attainable standards of health. Provide appropriate, specific, user-friendly, and accessible services to address effectively their reproductive and sexual health needs, including reproductive health education, information counseling, and health promotion strategies. These services should safeguard the rights of adolescents to privacy, confidentiality, informed consent, respecting the cultural values and religious beliefs, and in conformity with relevant existing international agreements and conventions. C. 
Develop at national levels as appropriate action plans for adolescents and youth based on gender equity and equality that cover education, professional, vocational training, and income generating opportunities. Such programs should include support mechanisms with education counseling for adolescents in areas of gender relations and equality, violence against adolescents, responsible sexual behavior, responsible family planning practices, family life, reproductive health, sexually transmitted diseases, HIV infection, AIDS prevention, program action, paragraph 7.47. Adolescents and youth themselves should be fully involved in the design and implementation of such information and services with proper regard for parental guidance and responsibility. Special attention should be devoted to vulnerable and disadvantaged youth. Why support Conference of Sexuality Education? Planned Parenthood, care no matter what. Planned Parenthood is unincorporated. Conference of Sexuality Education teaches that abstinence is the best method for avoiding sexual transmitted infections, STIs, and intended pregnancy, but also teaches about condom use and contraceptive methods to reduce the risk of STI and unintended pregnancy. It covers a broad range of issues relating to both the physical and biological aspects of sexuality and the emotional and social aspects of sexuality. It can support the efforts of parents and teachers to provide honest, accurate, and and affirming information to young people about sexuality. It helps diminish the impact of some of the negative or inaccurate sexual messages and stereotypes often found in the media and sometimes supported by their peers. Furthermore, such programs empower youth to make responsible choices that protect their health, well-being, and provide support for academic achievement. A recent examination national survey of family growth determined the impact of sexual education on sexual risk taking for young people ages 15 to 19 revealed that teens who received comprehensive sexual education were 50% less likely to report a pregnancy than those who received absence only education. Uh, caller et al. abstinence only in comprehensive sex education initiation for sexual activity and teen pregnancy. Journal of Adolescent Health 42, parentheses 4, 344 to 351 are the pages. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention CDC recognize that health risk behaviors such as early sexual initiation, violence, and physical inactivity are consistently linked to poor grades and test scores and lower educational attainment, and that school health programs could have positive effects on educational outcomes as well as health risk behaviors and health outcomes, CDC 2010, cdc.gov, healthy youth slash health and academics index. Evaluation of comprehensive sex education programs show that these programs can help youth delay the onset of sexual activity, reduce the number of sexual partners, and increase condom and contraceptive use. Advocates for Youth, August 2010, Comprehensive Sex Education Academic Success Effective Programs Foster Student Achievement. New national standards offer guidance to schools. National Sexuality Education Standards, Core Content in Schools, K-12 published in the Journal of School Health in January 2012 are the result of a cooperative effort by the American Association of Health Education, the American School Health Association, the National Education Association of Health Information Network, and the Society of State Leaders of Health and Physical Education, in coordination with the Future of Sex Education, FOSC initiative. The goal of the standards is to provide clear, consistent, and straightforward guidance to the essential minimum core content for sexual education that is developmentally and age-appropriate for students in K-12. The seven topics included as the minimum essential content and skills for K-12 sexuality education. Anatomy and Physiology AP provides foundation for understanding basic human functioning. Puberty Adolescent Development PD addresses a pivotal milestone for every person that has an impact on physical, social, and emotional development. Identity ID addresses several 
fundamental aspects of people's understanding of who they are. Pregnancy and reproduction PR addresses information about how pregnancy happens and decision making to avoid a pregnancy. Sexual transmitted disease and HIV and SH provides both content and skills for understanding and avoiding STDs and HIV, including how they are transmitted, their signs and symptoms, and testing and treatment. Our relationship HR offers guidance to students on how to successfully navigate changing relationships among family, peers, and partners. Special emphasis is given the National Sexuality Education Center to the increasing use and impact of technology within relationships. Personal safety, PS, <clears throat> emphasizes the need for growing awareness, creation, and maintenance of safe school environments for all students. Excuse me. Ooh. Sorry about that. Arizona Youth Meet Conference of Sex Education. Results from 2011 Arizona Youth Risk Behavior Survey YRPS results indicate that youth need school supportive of comprehensive sexuality education. 47% have had intercourse at some point in their lives. 52%, of high school seniors report having sexual intercourse in the past few months. 9% report using a condom during last sexual intercourse. 15% did not use any method to prevent pregnancy during last intercourse. By 12th grade, 24.2% of students reported having four or more sexual partners during their lifetime. By 12th grade, 65% of high school seniors reported having sexual intercourse. Of students who report having sexual intercourse, 22.4% report drinking alcohol or using drugs before sexual intercourse. 10% of students report being physically forced to have sexual intercourse when they did not want to. 11% of students report being hit, slapped, or physically hurt on purpose by their boyfriend or girlfriend during the 12 months before the survey. The Department of Health and Human Services Office of Adolescent Health, OAH, provides data on reproductive health for Arizona youth and compares to the national average for the United States. According to this data, in 2010, Arizona ranked 13 out of 51 states on teen births among mother ages 15 to 19 with one, representing the lowest rate, 50% representing the highest rate. Arizona was ranked to having the fourth highest teen pregnancy rate. Hispanic teens make up a disproportionate number of births to teens, especially when compared with the national average. In Arizona, 58% of births are to Hispanic teens, while the average, while national average for Hispanic teens is 33%. Again, in Arizona, 58% of births are to Hispanic teens, while the national average for Hispanic teens is 33%. While the teen pregnancy rate has declined dramatically since 1988, both in Arizona and nationally, Arizona still has a much higher rate than the national average with a rate of 89 compared to a rate of 70 for the United States. The Gay, Lesbian, and Straight Education Network, GLESEN, 2009 National School Climate Survey for Arizona demonstrated that Arizona schools were not safe for many lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, secondary school students. In addition, many LGBT students in Arizona did not have access to important school resources such as gay-straight alliances and were not protected by comprehensive bullying slash harassment school policies. Arizona parents support medically accurate sex education. Planned Parenthood Arizona Commission decided to update previous public opinion studies conducted by the former Planned Parenthood of Central Northern Arizona and Planned Parenthood of Southern Arizona. The study was completed by Behavioral Research Center BRC in May 2008. Results indicate that 76% of Arizonans believe that the best way to reduce teen pregnancy is through medically accurate sex education, including birth control education. 80% of Arizonans believe that parents and teachers who are trained in the subject should both play major roles in teaching sex education in the home and the schools. 
that 65% of Arizonans believe that teen pregnancies cannot be significantly reduced through in-school programs that promote only abstinence. Example, programs that exclude accurate education about birth control options. Similar survey conducted by led by BRC indicates that Arizonans were 67% more likely to support Planned Parenthood because we offer medically medically accurate sex education to teens and increase it 34%. Arizona law gives school districts flexibility and provide sexuality education. Requirements for sexual health education are outlined at Administrative Code R7-2-303. The State Board of Education has determined that sexual health education materials used in public schools in Arizona need to clearly state the abstinence from sexual intercourse is the only method for avoiding pregnancy that's 100% effective and stress that students should abstain from sexual intercourse as mature adults. Um, here's what I say on that. More than likely, that's not going to happen. So let's just encourage the proper ways to use contraceptives, okay? Humans are humans. Let's make sure the age of consent laws are honored. And, um, you know, teens trying to be other teens. I, I get that. And at the same time, as long as they understand the search model that I, I add enthusiasm to all this. Teens should understand enthusiastic consent, enthusiastic quality, enthusiastic, res- enthusiastic respect, enthusiastic trust, enthusiastic safety. So, look, I understand that a lot of teenagers ain't gonna wait till they're adults to have sex. So, let's just give them the certs model and help them to use contraceptives properly. Hey, R72 3 also requires that sex education materials and instructions as provided meet the needs of the district. The district may decide that students need this information also based on data such as teen practices slash birth rates. The decision to offer sex education is made by local governing boards in Arizona and other than the specifics that are addressed in its administrative code. The content of the instructions determined by local governing boards as well. This includes whether or not districts want to provide students with information about contraceptives or condoms. Affordable resources for conference sexuality education available. Um, there's so many, I don't want to label it to just Arizona. Um, just look up Planned Parent Arizona, they'll give you the materials. I don't want this episode to be too long. Um, so, I'm just gonna say, uh, that I'm very proud to have even done episodes like this. I think it shows. Like my true strength is doing uh, these episodes that I've been doing have not been easy. It has been very, very difficult because I have to share some things. That show had life is still not being kind.
and uh, it's never something that I take lightly. Also, want to talk about how I also wanted to start my own sex club. I think that would be I think it, it's gonna be for me. It honors everything within law and reason, like I keep saying. now thinking about how to go about all of this. I think what I will do is take a break from sex for a month and then go back to talking about it. I don't have to rush everything. Um, Because I do need to relax and I am getting really tired of talking about it so much. Um, I love to talk about it, but at the same time, I need to take a break so I can allow myself to just fully sexually heal. Uh, When I say fully sexually heal, meaning um, allow my sexuality just to restore itself because we put so much emphasis over emphasis could make it hard to sexually recover so basically what that means is when I don't do episodes on it I can just allow myself to fully breathe sexually so anything sexual I'll say I'll revisit it in a month I think It'll be good to just relax and talk about other subjects. So um, I just want to say I'm so grateful to have done episodes talking about religion and sex. Um, I'm done talking about them. And now I'm going to go back and this is an episode that I was doing something that I was doing in terms of talking about um, you know the hate crimes that are happening as LGBTQ plus people like myself I think that absolutely needs to be talked about again 
don't go back and talk about it. Because to me, that is very important. Um, extremely important. And uh, I think a lot of times many people have this whole idea about how people's lives should go. And we all have to understand that nobody's life should be dictated by anyone with a dictator type of heart. You see that a lot in the news where we just want to control people instead of guiding people in the right direction. It makes me think about how a lot of people are scared to deal with their own traumas and it has definitely been concerning because we can't treat this life that we live as um, something that we have to avoid. That's not the way to live. No way to live. We gotta live this life knowing that it's worthy to be lived. What else do I want to say in my heart? I'm just free-flowing. best way for me to wrap up this episode is I want to thank you to all the listeners who've been patient with me. I know a lot of y'all are eager for me to talk about the things, me too. But more importantly, I'm, I'm thankful to all the listeners who understand why religion and sex are the biggest impacts of my life. And so I'm going to end this episode by saying that I am a naturally secular, naturally sex positive cultural list. And my break from religion and sexuality for one month starts right now.
Wait, I have a little more to say. Yes, I do. I honestly think that unbelievers and non-believers are better at living life to the fullest and living life peacefully than believers and those who are pious. Um, it is the truth. I think that non-believers and unbelievers are more Christ-like than believers and those who are pious. I think non-believers and unbelievers are, are kinder, smarter, wiser, more generous than believers and those who are pious. It's like I keep, I keep, I find Jesus the most in non-Christians. And I find Jesus the least in Christians. A lot of times, I don't even, most of the time, I don't even find Jesus in Christians. It's just, not to make a blanket generalization statement, but that has constantly been my reality. And, um... I also thought of something. I look forward to private shows for my stripper friends. If they wanted to bring a pole in my home, it'd be like, you can, and then we have to find a way to take it out. Because I know that not all my guests would be in favor of adult entertainment, you know, just people I'm in close proximity to, but I was like, okay, we'll bring the pole, we'll have the moving truck or somebody take the pole out, we could be there when it's just us, but, but when, um, you know, uh, or maybe I'll hide it somewhere in my home, I don't know. That's a tough one, because, like, how do you constantly take a pole in and out? Like, if I could do it, cool, but I would say for the pole, we could take it out, keep it there when it's just us, and bring it back to their home, whatever, cool. But if it's too much, then, like, okay, we got to store it here somewhere. All right, um, let's do a secret room and where people really don't go in we're just sitting there at the A, you know. We'll figure it out. But um that's personally how I feel and I'm just so grateful. That we have to have this talk. Like I said, I appreciate earlier, like I said. I always appreciated 
and I always will appreciate the believers in my life who specialize in love. Highest people have had the same love. I'm so grateful for that. I think. What I think is, is is that there are plenty of people believing and I'm believing doing the right thing. It always makes me smile. I gotta admit this. When it comes to religion, I'm a, I'm a believer. No, 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 I misspoke. When it comes to, when, I must admit this, when it comes to religion, I am an unbeliever and a non-believer. Uh, but when it comes to Christ-likeness, I am a knower as well as intimate with Christ-likeness. I'm a knower of Christ-likeness, that's intimacy with Christ-likeness, intimate Christ-likeness, that knowledge of Christ-likeness. Now I'm officially going to start my religion sex one month break. Nothing more to say. And I am way more than A-OK. Because, wait a minute, I keep saying small stuff. My brain. I am sexually liberated. And I am enjoying my sexual evolution. I'm enjoying my sex positivity, my gender sexual diversity, honoring free love. movement type of person. And lastly, what I'm going to say, and I mean this for the final, final curtain call time is I love the fact that I'm a solo polyamory secular leftist um, sexual freedom. I just remember what I wanted to say very quickly. The 
what I've noticed about religion in this case Christianity is that a lot of church people come to church get their church hit and their church fix treating church as a Christianized crack house and that they come to get their breakthrough blessing and they roll out so they treat church as the Christianized fast food drive through um, and a lot of them are loaning money to people even though their body Bible says don't a lot of them only show up to church just to hear certain people preach even though they're supposed to be open to anyone who is sharing uh, genuinely God to them they are the main ones using credit cards even though their church tells them not to they co-sign and don't do not take heed to debt um, payments even though the church says you can't co-sign and you need to biblically remove these debts because they're going to take over your whole family. And And I've really had to learn that their Bible tells them to financially be wise, but they're not financially wise. Um... Because the prosperity um, theology can encourage um, financial literacy, which a lot of church people and just people in the world, the rest of the world have. So I just had to mention these things. A lot of them will marry people who are non-believers even though they claim to have traditional Christian beliefs, they'll make it look like, yeah, you shouldn't marry people that you, that believes like you in church. You know, like the Bible. But then their spouse will show up not believing or won't show up not believing. Either way, you know, there's hypocrisy there. I mean, I'm all for interfaith interracial multicultural young adult older adult relationships as as they're all of age and at the same time how can they say I don't do any of those relationships because you know my bible says this how interpreted says that but they do the total opposite of what they make it look like they don't do especially in those relationships I just I really really had to say those things um what I have found to be really interesting for me in terms of sex was Is that it's okay for me?
to be a person who understands that sexuality for me says that sexual love and compassionate love combine means sex art and empathy mix well exceptionally well now I'm done, 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 all the way done. Not gonna make another recording because it's episode time. I don't want to drive us crazy. <laughs>